Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of March 26, 2012. Is that right? <clears throat> That's right. Jeez. This is episode 143. It's my That's birthday also week. also right. Is it your birthday week? Uh-huh. You, I, <laughs> I who are you? I have birthday weeks. I'm Jackie Rotaco, the account coordinator with Interval. Well, happy birthday week. When is your birthday? March Next 28th. Week. Okay. Fine. You both remember that. And both <laughs> refers to who it's are on you the over there? Uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. And I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I just totally monopolized that intro. Sorry. That's all right. You need to monopolize <laughs> right. more of our you podcast. Gotta, yeah, you need to do that. With my birthday announcement? <laughs> As our avid listeners will attest. Totally relevant. We don't really give you time to monopolize on our podcast, so take whatever you can. All right, I will. Uh, so how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nothing new, exciting to talk about? Oh, Not you know, much. the weather's great. Oh, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> there. Out there. It is nice. It's a little, it's the trees are budding already in grass Minnesota. Grass is green. We should get the grass is gr- greening. Starting. Greening. Yeah, we're running around in shorts and t-shirts. Is green, mm-hmm. do we just make green a verb? Did we? It's I don't greening. Think, well, if it's greening, that means it's a verb. That's a gerund, by the way. A verb with an ing on the end used in that capacity is called a gerund. Wow, mm. look at you. Yeah, there's some things you'll remember <laughs> from like eighth grade grammar, and that's why I of do them. vaguely remember that. Vaguely? But I wouldn't know what vaguely. it means. <laughs> I'm vaguely. I'd black that part of my life out. <laughs> I think if you say that the lawn is greening, then you're using that, and that's a is is the verb of that sentence but greening is the gerund which is some kind of verb verb helper so you could say look at the lawn green that would be the verb yep the lawn greens as the rain falls this has been intervals grammar hour <laughs> is that a haiku <laughs> sounds like npr on sunday about four forty-five <laughs> in the ding. afternoon we need garrison keeler okay uh well we have some news All related to Orlando in about a month, April 29th. Well, Sunday, April 29th through Thursday, May 1st is the, oh man, I did not write the name of the conference down, the National Healthcare Marketing Summit. I just had to look this up here. Hold on. It's Healthcare Marketing Strategy Summit. Healthcare Marketing Strategy Summit. Mm-hmm. Commonly referred to as the Forum for Healthcare Strategists because I think they're the organization that puts it on. Mm-hmm. They've changed the name. Most people refer to it as the Forum as opposed to Shushmid. It's a little smaller than Shushmid, but a little more intimate, great value. We will be there in spades. We will be there three times. Come, if you're coming, you've wow. got to catch us sometime. Yes. So Sunday... The conference starts Sunday, and I will be there first thing Sunday at 9 in the morning for a three-hour workshop. On? Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital. Obviously. The purpose of that workshop is going to be create some change agents to go out and spread the gospel. (laughs) Will Joe Public care about your workshop at 9 o'clock on a Sunday I sure hope so. (laughs) I've already talked to a few people who said they're going to be there, but we need more. That's quite a commitment to come in early. And then uh, Monday easy. morning, I'm speaking with... Most uh, healthcare marketers will be at church. Yes, I'm sure. I think sure. so. Competition. Mon- 
Monday morning is a breakout session with Chris Boyer, and we are, the name of our topic is Breaking the Rules of Healthcare Websites. <clears throat> Breaking all the rules. What is that? <laughs> Y-N-T? Ozzy. Oh, all right. So that's Monday morning. I don't know the exact time. And then Monday evening, by popular demand, is branding at the bar. <clears throat> yeah. It's back. It's got all the details on that. What Can you share any of them? Sure, why not? Yeah, it's Let's new, have them. So Monday, April 30th, I think, is the date. Yes. Starts at 6.15. Nice. Room information. I have it, but I won't bore everyone Pending. with those details. Yeah, but the information will be disseminated very soon. And if you're not familiar with Branding at the Bar, this is an event we've sponsored, co-sponsored with NRC, National Research Corporation. Mm-hmm. This will be our third one. Uh, and basically, it's just a good time. We have food, we have drinks, and we have a really difficult trivia branding healthcare marketing and branding trivia competition and the winner gets this year an ipad 3 an ipad 3 trace Mm -hmm. yes potentially the white one trace which if i'm hearing correctly you can turn on turn upside down and use as a bunsen burner for your to warm your coffee (laughs) because there's been as always with the new product for apple there's some rumor of that of it's gonna, problems that it yep. gets up to 100. Consumer reports that it got up to 122 degrees in the lower right hand corner of the back in one test. Really? It gets it gets to about 10 degrees hotter. I, I have one, and I did. I have noticed that it gets a little bit warmer, but it's not like uncomfortably warm. Oh, People are saying it makes their hands sweat. My other my old my iPad first gen would get warm enough to make my hands a little bit warm. I mean, it's I never noticed that. It's a lot going inside that on inside that thing. So it's yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I think I've noticed it get a little bit warmer, but it's—I mean—it's a lot faster. Yeah, and the bat—it's got a bigger, different battery to to support the whole LTE right. network that it's on. Um, so you should bring it in so we can see that image. Right? It, oh, right you have it? Well, it's not—we well, we can't on. talk about it in the podcast, so yeah. nobody can see it. Uh oh, he's lost it. No, I guess I didn't bring it. I've Oops, fallen. He dropped it I on the street on the can't. way in. There it is. <laughs> there it Still is. Still at home somewhere <laughs> on the street. <laughs> so anyway, please come to the forum and join us. It's a great, great conference, and we'll have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So let's see. We're going to talk about healthcare reform and social media, the two top topics Woo-hoo. of the year. Top picks. Top picks. Uh, Jackie, you found this, this article, and I, there's really nothing new in this article about healthcare reform. I just thought in three printed pages it did maybe the best job of talking about why our system is so screwed Mm-hmm. why the problem, you know, what's leading to that. And in this guy's estimation, what we need to do to get out of it. So um, I don't know if there's really new information. I just thought this in the New York times uh, it's worth reviewing again. I don't want to have a little bit of a conversation about our roles as healthcare marketers in this, this whole big deal. Right. Uh, but it's uh, a story that is featuring Victor Fuchs, who's Demetrius professor of economics and health research policy at Stanford. So guy knows what he's talking about. In fact, the article quotes him as being called the Dean of American Healthcare Economists. Whoa. Though Yui is, Big I think he's pronounced Yui Reinhardt, is also another dean. Uh, but I think they agree on this. I'm sure there's other deans. Yui? Well. It's U-W-E. I think that's Good. how you pronounce it. Anyway, here's, here's the scary part, which I think we all know. Uh, the average per capita cost of healthcare in the U.S. is over $8,000 annually. Double the amount spent in most European countries. Now, keep in mind that's just what you're paying out of pocket for healthcare. It's not factoring taxes. 
However, how does that sound to you guys? Think that makes sense? 8,000 bucks a year? Per person, that means? Does it sound right? How does that fit with your personal situation? Obviously, that's taking... Sounds extraordinarily high. Yeah. Oh, you guys are so... Naive. But, I mean, you you said, apply it (laughs) to your personal situation. That sounds pretty damn high for my personal situation. That said... For what we use it? How much we use it? For me. So, So, like, for my family, that would be times three, you're saying? Yes. Per capita, per person. Crazy. That seems... Well, when you think about what we pay in premiums, which I don't know what you pay, Adam, because you're going through your wife's plan, but for the rest of the folks here, I can tell you that the majority of that's taken up by premiums alone. Forget about co-pays, which we we have a pretty high-end, be called a Cadillac plan if we had more people. Our family premium is... It's a lot because I, when we were when yeah. we were figuring out what we were going to go with, it, it, I was just like, "Does it?" At, it got to the point where I was like, "Does it even matter which one of these plans we take?" Because chances are we're going to be paying for like everything right. Does over the matter? course yeah. of the year. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, just take the you know the one where you can save the most you know <laughs> overall, and I don't know. It's, well, for my three kids, so that's not per <clears> capita, <throat> but it's f- roughly four hundred dollars a month. So what's that? Five grand a year mm-hmm. for each? No, no total, but that's with a seven thousand dollar deductible. So you're talking about if something happened, like when my son broke his wrist, there's twelve grand. Boom, easy. Yep. And it would go higher than that too, a little bit. So, and that doesn't include a lot of things that aren't even covered by that, right? Obviously. So, um, and so that's scary enough. The Congressional Budget Office, which is usually a very nonpartisan entity, which has a lot of respect. Projects that unless costs are brought under control in the next decade, the nation will be spending all of its tax revenues on health care, social security interest, on the <sighs> debt and defense, but mostly, mostly health care. So this guy, Victor, says, if we solve our health care spending, practically all of our fiscal problems go away. If we don't solve it, then almost anything else we do will not solve our fiscal problems. So in other words, if we can fix this, we're off the hook. If we can't fix it, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to fix everything else. And I have, I mean, there are, there are numbers that show if it continued at the rate it's increasing, mm-hmm. that would literally absorb all of your take-home income, healthcare loan. Yeah. Given wow. the increase in personal income projected over the next 10, 15 years and the increase, inflationary increase of healthcare. So uh, anyway, why is it a problem? And we've talked about this a lot, Mm -hmm. but I just love how clear he makes this. Uh, We have higher administrative costs and very complicated system for billing. That's our insurance industry. So you would assume that a private insurance industry would have lower administrative costs, but in fact, that's not the case. It's higher than uh, Medicare, typically, at least that's my understanding, and higher than European system. And they're not private. No. for profit. Mm-hmm. Well, man, and we've—I mean—we've worked with a few providers, and when you go, I mean, go to their office, to, offices too, sometimes, and you're like, "Holy crap, this is!" I mean, some pretty fancy digs they're working in. Many, yeah, that could a lot apply of to providers too, not yeah. just payers. Uh, two to one ratio of specialists to primary care physicians. Other countries, the ratio is fifty-fifty. Uh, specialists spend more money, cost more money, and use more exotic interventions. Uh, we have more standby capacity. So this is where we've talked about this before. Uh, we have more malpractice claims. We have less social support for the poor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would say, well, what, you know, if we're going to spend more on the poor, doesn't that cost more money? No, because you're giving them appropriate care and right. they don't end up in the emergency room 
every time and they don't end up with acute problems, which costs way more. True. Drug prices are higher here. That's also a frustrating deal. And physician incomes are higher. Uh, so does this get us anywhere? We know that we are not, I don't think we're even in the top 30 of healthcare value in countries, meaning what we get for what we pay for. Mm-hmm. We're way down there. Uh, but do we get anything for this extra money? He says, you know, it's not without benefit that we can get a scan more quickly and more conveniently. It's not without benefit that we have specialists, and it's not without benefit that we can choose our health plans. So basically what all that leads to is convenience. Right. Right? We have better Mm -hmm. access, quicker access to what we want. We're paying a lot for that. Uh, His suggestion is a dedicated value-added tax that would provide universal coverage, but a a basic level of coverage. So in other words, it's not going to cover everything. It would Mm -hmm. cover... Uh, a basic level of medical care uh, and subsidize the poor and the sick who would not have to pay that tax at the same level. Uh, so, for example, we would do away with Goldman Sachs, poor Goldman Sachs. I shouldn't say poor. What an oxymoron <laughs> that is, right? They just get deservedly so raked over the coals right. repeatedly. Um, they get, he says they get a $40,000 a year health care plan that is tax-free, meaning they get this huge tax break because... Uh, healthcare insurance is tax deductible. So anyway, uh, he's cha- he's suggesting enormous change, revolutionary change, and this is the part that I like because when I think about that too, I'm like, that's never going to happen. We're never going to have that level of change in this country. And he says American history is studded with examples of things that were not politically feasible until they were. Emancipation of slaves, creation of a strong independent central bank, mm-hmm. replacement of the gold standard, a trillion dollar bailout of the financial industry. <laughs> I mean, if we can do that. Yeah, no yeah. So, but what's gonna, what is it going to take? Um, I also like this quote Alexis de, Alexis de, 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 Alexis <laughs> de Tocqueville. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, famous dude, but I can't remember why. Said that in the U.S., Things move from the impossible to the inevitable without stopping at the probable. So basically, it's going to take a crisis, a depression, something yeah. where people are just like dying in the streets, yeah. and then we'll change it. So anyway. Well, that's uh, uplifting. What's that? <laughs> that's uplifting. It is, but I think all that's true. No, I agree it with is. you. Well, and, I mean, it par- it's partially understandable that it takes getting to that point to, for change to happen. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. until then, it's everybody bickering about what if, what if, what if, what if this, what if this, what if this. And nobody can come to any kind of consensus or any decision because there's, cause there's, you can, there's no result. Nobody can prove that this is what's going to happen until it happens. And then it's like, okay, now we have to take action. It's pathetic. I mean, it's sad that it has to come to that. but Yeah, it's true, though. It's also not – I mean, it's, par- it's kind of understandable at the same time, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And, and the article brings up a good question. Could it be that the current system is the way we want to spend our money? You say most people are insured and most people are perfectly happy with their health care, which most studies show too. Why do we care if we devote so much money to health care? Approximately 50% of all health care spending is now government spending. So at the state and local level, it's crowding out education, crowding out maintenance, um, all these other things. And the federal level, we're basically just financing it with debt. So his point is, yeah, we're all comfortable, but we don't really understand the implications of spending this much money. So anyway, it just made me think, uh, and I'm pondering a a, a blog post on this. Are we part of the solution or part of the problem in healthcare marketing? And I think we've talked about this, and this is maybe kind of a high-flying 
esoteric talker for this kind of podcast, but it, <laughs> I have been thinking about it uh, more and more. So, I mean, first of all, what do you guys think? I mean, so when you think about when we see organizations spending millions of dollars on advertising campaigns to promote themselves, mm -hmm. we all know that that's part of the system. We all know that this is a competitive system. Business, yeah. It's uh, a market-driven system. Marketing is required. And so all of that's legitimate. And I can certainly argue that a competitive system has its benefits. Uh, but when you hear things about how broken our system is, <clears throat> do you ever look at that and go, man, is that contributing to the problem? Or is it helping it? Or is it just neutral? Well, it's hard to, I mean, it's not... It's not market driven like other industries are market driven um, because there's so many weird yeah. variables. So it's, it's, it's almost not even fair to say that it's necessarily a market driven. To start with the industry. fact that it's your health. Right. It's not a car or a bottle of yeah, Coke yeah. where in so many cases you really don't have a choice. Right. Not a, not a reasonable choice. Right. And, and, and life or death can be right. the result of you know, whether or not you receive care or somebody receives care. Right. Like if somebody uninsured going to the emergency room that's got to get paid for. Yeah. And who's going to be the one to say, no, you can't come in. Even Death though you're you know, laying there bleeding out on the, in, on the front steps of the emergency room, but they're not going to let you in. That's just inhuman. I mean, when, when we've got the uh, ability to save some money, uh, be damned when we've got the ability to save someone and you don't do it. That's just, we have come to a bad place. Yeah. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, that's the thing. It just it's just not really market driven because there's so much morality and stuff involved in it, and and there's really no moral decision. Like when it comes to how well you know Target does over Walmart, you know, in the end, there's really no, nothing about morals that determines right. any of that. Um, whereas that comes into play here, so it's just tricky, and and that's probably the biggest, the trickiest part about it. We just have to. I think we have to determine whether we as a society want to just figure out how to make this work as a collective or we're just going to continue to bitch about it until we until it's just not even affordable anymore. Well, what I mean, it's market driven in a sense that corporations make billions of dollars off healthcare. Pharma, yeah. medtech, insurance, providers. There's a lot of money being made, a lot. So, and that's where, you know, we're part of that we're a cog in that wheel of making money on mm -hmm. healthcare. So how do we sleep at night with that? We cool with that? Should we shut her down? <laughs> yeah, I'm good with it. <laughs> here's, here's, oh, here's how I, I approach it. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go I ahead. was just going to say our stance has, it has been for a long time and, and is now that advertising should be one of the last things you consider doing. In many, in many cases, not always, but in many cases, right? Um, because there are just more effective ways to reach out to people with things that, especially around like health and wellness, that not only is good from a brand perspective, uh, kind of that relationship building perspective, but it's it's just good from a human, from a health perspective mm -hmm. to keep people healthy. Um, so I don't know if we, I mean it. it I agree that it, that it, it it's again that's it's tricky to try to justify that everything we do is peachy, but when I know that that's kind of the backbone of our philosophy, that makes it easier to 
Do you sleep work every day? Sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> Were you gonna say something, Jackie? Um, no. No. Well, I mean, really. I think we, we've talked before about hey, if if what we do is connecting people who need healthcare to the appropriate healthcare option, yeah. then that's fine. I think that's fine, and I think I think you kind of hit it, Adam. I mean, really, you have a few choices. You can just say no. I don't think I don't think this is legit, or um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, you can say I, I think we should have universal health care or government run health care, and so I'm getting out. So you can do that. You can try to change the system mm-hmm. with from within it, um, which I think is is great, and I'd advocate for people to try to work to improve the system. From where we're at as marketers. Uh, I think ethically what you're talking about, Adam, is the idea that we should look at our little world, our little part of the system, and say we should be stewards of that part of it. And we should make sure that any money spent, every dollar spent, is spent appropriately and efficiently and effectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where I think... you could almost We could almost have our firm shift our positioning from... We want you to we want you to transform to do what's to do what's most effective because it works to do what's most effective because it's ethically appropriate. The two are hand in hand mm-hmm. to me because if you're doing what's what what works, then ethically you're doing everything you can to make sure that you're a smart steward of the money that you have and that you are connecting people appropriately. If you're blowing wads of money on ineffective marketing efforts. Yeah then not only are you not doing your job well, you, I think you can be said you're part of the problem overall in the system. It's a waste of money. We just see so much of that, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we could sustain a business that was kind of like the ethical marketers because I'm not sure people would hire that. They're not looking for that. Maybe a few. I would argue that if you're a marketer in a lot of industries, though, there are ethics involved. I mean, unless you're marketing for a nonprofit or, you know, I think you're constantly at odds with, you know, what you're marketing for, what you're advertising for. You know, Do you. So I, you, yeah, think think you, you think if you you think if you blow a million dollars for Coke that that's got a moral kind of hit? Really? I think it could. I mean, more it, so than like a hospital. No, not more so. But I'm just saying, I think that you know we could pull out of this, but there's still going to be other people doing it, and you can move to another industry. And I don't necessarily know that that would be more you know, hmm. ethically fulfilling well, I necessarily. Think I, I agree you know? in the sense that I think that that ex- excess in general is, gets to be absurd at times. I mean, if you look at, just look at the celebrity scene and you see yeah. what people spend on like a, a, you know, just jewelry or something. And it's like, man, if you would have spent a fraction on that and still had something that nobody else had access to and took the rest of that money and did something positive with it, that would be pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. instead, you've got a you know, four hundred million dollar ring on your finger. You know, it's kind of like that's just why, why, what? That's just it seems. So I mean, and that's less to do with marketing and just more to do with I mean, nothing to do with marketing in that right. sense. But it's more to do with just stop with the excess and look around and see you know who needs help and yeah, take that into consideration maybe when you decide how much you're going to blow on something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know I mean, if I'm with you, Jackie. I I feel like I think what you're talking about or maybe what you're talking about is the ethics of being a marketer and being a good steward of your money no matter what. 
So not wasting even a corporation's money in ineffective things and the shareholders that support that corporation. And I think that's completely true. I just think, like Adam pointed out earlier, um, the outcome of unethical marketing in that standpoint is Coke doesn't make as much money and the shareholders right. don't make as much dividends <clears throat> and there's maybe not as much Coke drink, which to me, that is not as immoral as somebody doesn't get this, the health care they need. Right. No, I definitely wouldn't put that on the same par as what we're talking about. Right. But I just think you can, you know, in other industries, I think that... You know, you could you could draw parallels in like struggling with the ethics of what you do. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends. I mean, not necessarily just Coke. I mean, I'm 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 struggling to think of other examples, but well, and it's it's tough to pick on the big guys too because I mean, Coke, Coke gives a lot back. I have no idea what it is that they give back, but the mm-hmm. more they make, the more the the stronger of a position they're in to actually give back. Right. Um. I mean, you look at Target locally, and I know they give tons and tons to like to the to the, to the community to the art scene specifically in other areas, education. Um, and they could do that because they make what they make and they make what they make in many cases because of their marketing that they do. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously there's, it's complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never easy. No, well, it'll be interesting to hear from other people what they mm-hmm. think and whether they consider these things. And, um, I don't know. I just think the I think the national debate we've been having and probably will continue to have because if I were betting man, I would bet the Supreme Court's going to kill or maim reform just based on the political makeup of the court. Mm. Uh, they'll find a way to kill it just because it fits their political view, not whether or not it's legal, right. well, um, legally appropriate. And I think that's unfortunately going to set us back so bad because even if this is a flawed effort it's still an effort and it's moving us forward in some good ways and if it sets us back halfway or all the way who in the hell is going to take this up again why would you invest so much political capital for something that's just gonna it's it'll be really i think unfortunate well Mm -hmm. the the problem is in this case i think was the compromise probably in trying to create something that I don't know. I, I, it would ideas like this almost just need to be can't be compromised on. I mean, I think there was, there was a larger idea, and the result of it was a series of compromises that are right. destined to fail. Had the idea itself, and I'm not saying it was a good idea, but this, you know, I think this happens especially in politics time and time again. Um, had the idea itself in its pure form been able to happen? And then maybe it could have been. What do you think that is? Effective what, what, at this point in time, I don't even remember. I mean, I had more of a. It was the one idea that I think would have, and I don't know that's destined to fail, so we don't have to get into all that. We can disagree. To, it's going to fail at some level, I'm sure. But are the benefits greater than the failures? I don't know. But I think the one thing that was compromised most of all was what they called the government option for health insurance. Um, which would basically have extended like Medicare to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could have opted into that and paid for it and would have kept insurance companies a little more honest. But I'm reading a book right now and I can't think of the title of it, but it's by the guy who was the vice president of public relations for Cigna. And he basically just exposes how these industries have worked this game and have kept things in their favor for years mm-hmm. and how they gutted healthcare reform uh, and how they... They've got these strategies of like, 
you know, they don't just come right out and say we're not for it. They actually do the opposite. They come out and say, we're supportive of change. We're supportive of reform. And we're going to work with you, President and Congress, get this done because they know that sounds good. In the meantime, they create this army of people, mainly right. legislators, but not just them, who see things their way, who go out and just death panel and socialism and crush the hell out of it. And it works. And we continue to to basically be <clears throat> slaves to these corporations who are making billions of dollars, mm -hmm. and it's not in our best interest. It's just a fascinating book. So maybe that's why I'm getting all philosophical <laughs> on it. But it, it really just kind of this guy just basically well, said, "You want to see the inside of how this all works? Right. Here it is." I would like to read. Let me know. What, I would like to read it. Whatever it is, it's the last, fascinating. There was a a book, not necessarily on that, but it was called. There was a great book along the same lines called. Um, Tales of an Economic Hitman. Yeah, um, I've heard of that too. Yeah, it was. I randomly picked it up on a, on a, I was traveling somewhere, and it was it was similar, but it was more about a, a dude who was paid by the government to essentially sabotage other economies to go in as the good guy, but kind of do his thing from within to make other sure, countries. Yeah, other countries, oh, other wow. economies. The Economic Hitman. Wow. And, and his, the stories he had to tell were just fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. But um, I would yeah figure out we'll put it in the show note uh, show notes yeah. whatever the, I just the can't think of the title but Both titles in the show I'm notes. not I'm just like a third of the way through but well it just it just seems like with something like this we have to decide as a society is this imp I mean we can't it it almost it almost has to be so, social I mean I don't I don't know what the other option is I mean maybe there's a still a private component where if you really have the money there's some privatized yeah. healthcare right but there just seems like there's no other choice than to have some social component to to make sure that we as a society and as people can be healthy and stay healthy mm -hmm. it should be in our best interest and this is coming from somebody who's fairly libertarian right, in right. their views <laughs> well and and Two things. One, we do that in other areas. We do that with right. agriculture. We do yeah. that with education. Yep. We do that with security. Yep. But we already do it in healthcare. It already has a social, right? A but social just, safety net. A, we just ignore it, right. which means we're it costs us way right. more than it should. Right. All right. We better move on. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Hope you stuck with us through that. <laughs> Deep thoughts by Jack Handy. Wow. Was like a half did you ever hour see, already. Did you ever see Jack? Was it? Uh, it's getting pretty close. About thirty. All right, minutes. we'll just do one more real quick. So this <laughs> is a story. Jack Handy. What's it? Jack Handy. <laughs> My favorite Jack Handy. I've probably said this on the podcast before. Do you remember Deep Thoughts and Saturday Oh yeah, Night Live? definitely. Did you ever hear that? I it sounds. It's pretty funny. It was something like. Hilarious. One day I asked my dad, "Why is it raining?" And he said, "Because God's crying." And I said, "Well, why is God crying?" And he said, "Because you made him." <laughs> nice. The one that sticks that. out in my mind for some reason, the one that I always that I always remember <laughs> is him. he's like, I have to laugh when I'm at a party and something fuzzy screeches across the room and clings onto someone's face because what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more real quick. Wall Street Journal, March two. Uh, titled Facebook, Twitter, Space Invaders. <clears throat> Basically, the article's about how both Facebook and Twitter are finding ways to squeeze in more advertising, mm -hmm. primarily because they need to validate their ridiculous valuations yeah. um, that are out there. Like Facebook is, is valued at $100 billion for its initial public offering, 27 times its 2011 sales. 
sales, not profit sales, though I'm sure their profit margin's ridiculous, right? Twitter's most recent financing round put its valuation at $8.4 billion, or 60 times <clears throat> its ad sales. It's like, what? So who, is just, de- who is determining this value yeah, is what I want to know. I'm I mean, obviously it's complex and there's... It, because it, 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 it gets so hyped that it goes beyond what you'd actually get by owning a piece of the company from right. the profits from it. Right. It, it's now like you, you're owning something that you hope to sell to some other rube down the road. And so it goes way beyond the value of what a company could ever produce. So they better start cranking out more money. So one of the things that... And we haven't seen this example, but Facebook is going to allow advertisers to put their ads in news feeds. So obviously now if you like a brand, if you like, we'll use Coke again, if you like Mm Coca-Cola or you like XYZ Hospital, their posts are going to show up in your news feed. Unless you block them. They already do. What's that? They already do. Their posts already do. If you liked them. So this must be something additional. The article doesn't really get into the details. It says the new ad placement, let's see. So... First of all, it doesn't say this, but I'm assuming it's going to allow advertisers to put ads in feeds for people that have not liked them. It's, so that would have to be because I couldn't like, and still targeted somehow to certain demographics, like like Facebook advertising already is. Because it, I mean, yeah. if somebody likes you, you're already they're already saying I want you to advertise to me or I want you to put your crap on my wall. Um, so it would be interesting to know like if they're trying to do something in that space, but. If my demographic fits, you know, some video game publisher's new title that's coming out and they want to get that advertising in front of me, but I'm not a fan of their, or I haven't liked their page, then there's probably value in them being able to advertise to me as someone who doesn't like them already. It's going to have to be really well done, though, to not annoy people. Well, and this is where the the story doesn't really give details because maybe Facebook hasn't, you know, said them. You know, they're arguing that the ads will be relevant because somebody in the article says, now we're going to have irrelevant content um, right in our face. It says, advertisers that have collected followers on the two sites were already able to stream messages like we've been talking about without paying. But those messages disappear quickly as new information streams into feeds, and many advertisers would like to broadcast to a larger population of users. So those two statements, to me, infer that, A, they won't just pass through with the rest of your news feed, which means they may stick there. Uh, and B, they must be allowing people to advertise beyond those that like them, even though it doesn't have say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would have that's, to be. That's got to be the But case. you know, I mean, anybody who says that something just randomly appearing in your, in your feed is going to be intrusive has clearly never used Facebook. Because Facebook <laughs> is just... It's just in, it's it's a bunch of intrusive crap from people you've known in the past. But That's you kind did of what it is. You d- well, you did, yeah, but still, it's just random. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't know about you guys, but half of the crap that shows up in Facebook for me is just is stuff I don't care about. It came from people that right. I guess Maybe. I care about to some degree, a different varying degrees. Um, but it's nothing. Nothing is of value. In fact, advertising that's targeted to me is probably going to be more valuable to me <laughs> than most of the crap that I see there. That's yeah, probably it's true. Already selective <laughs> and it reading. depends on how it shows up. To your point, Jackie. I mean, if it's if every other post is an ad, okay, now I'm annoyed. Right. If it sticks in some way that I can't get rid of it, I may be annoyed. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you, but it's going to be interesting. Right. I'm going to leave our listeners with this. <laughs> We should do this like every week 
find a comment of the week <laughs> to read, either on one of the stories or something related to what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is from somebody who commented on this story. I just, there's so many things about it make me laugh. Anyone who spends a lot of time on Facebook commenting awesome to someone reporting that he farted in the bathtub, so this is to Adam's point, <laughs> is unlikely to have a lot of expendable income. There's a leap right there. Spending gossip time on Facebook, unfortunately, takes away time from real work. So the assumption by this, I'm not done yet, but the assumption by this person <laughs> is that if you're spending time on Facebook, you must not be productive, and productive people don't spend time on Facebook, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Facebook IPO well, is being managed as a pump and dump scheme. Goldman Sachs is salivating. Okay, so another side. Facebook is doing a good job of being the gossip billboard of the world, but people who gossip are rarely rich. And that's the end of our comment. That is some weird generaliz- generalizing right Not there. Not only generalizing, but I would say the exact opposite. I yeah. would say the more rich you are, the more likely you are to be on Facebook, wasting your time and gossiping. Potentially. Well, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, no, you don't think rich people gossip? That's all they do. What else do they do? <laughs> Go to the Hamptons and, and just listen to what they talk about. They won't let know. me in. Have you ever Maybe been to I the don't Hamptons? Know just rich people on Facebook. <laughs> you disagree? You think poor people gossip more than rich people? I think everybody gossips. I think, yes. it's, I think it's bored people. So whether rich or poor, people who have a lot of time on their hands. Which would more likely be rich people? Or really rich? Poor I'm thinking people. of like super rich, like the. Trust fund babies who don't have to work. What they else are they doing? Have you watched country clubs like, having cocktails, not on Facebook? Have you watched The Hills or Real Housewives or any of these shows? Are they no, on Facebook all the time? No, but that's all they do is sit around and oh, well, yeah. handpick each other. I mean, I guess that's the show, but anyway. <laughs> that's a really I just, interesting generalization anyway. Yes, it, it was. I like the idea that spending gossip time on Facebook takes away time from real work so anybody who's on facebook is unlikely to have a lot of expendable income because they must not be working hard well interesting do you okay so you agree with that i don't know i just think that the majority you know the people who are frequent facebook posters are probably people who have more time on their hands whether or not that's yes that's because they're really wealthy or because they're just I don't know. It depends. I mean, it's. It, I agree. It's, Bored it's a, and unemployed and the assumption moms. that. <laughs> I mean, rarely does how much free time you have correlate with how much money got in your bank account. I would say. I mean, because I mean, if you happen right. to figure out, yeah. you know, if you're a, if you're a, a good at investing, for example, you know, your money is taking care of itself because you set it up right. So now you you are do have a lot of money, but you you know have plenty of free time, or maybe you are very wealthy because you've got a business and you work very hard at it and you dedicate your right. life. I mean, there's just it's it's a weird generalization to make yeah. because it's it's I, I don't I don't I don't see a correlation in my yeah. mind between free time and in wealth. And, and I go the other way. I really still go the other way. If you're poor, you're not. Sit- I mean. Most poor people work multiple jobs. They have to take the bus everywhere. The people that you're talking about, Jackie, I think are, you're right, they may not be productive, but they're more likely middle class. Mm -hmm. The people I see on there spend a lot of time are, I mean, let's stereotype, middle class moms. Yeah. Right? That are either at home or not working full time, and they just got loads of time on their hands. But they are not poor by any stretch. Now, of course, we have to take our own networks into consideration with, 
who totally. we're actually exposed to. Yeah. Right. right. I don't know right. if I have very many rich Facebook friends. Maybe <clears throat> we're all middle class. Well, that, I and I mean, to your point with people who are, you know, maybe can't afford, you have to use who use public transportation. Um, you know, that audience, there's a huge penetration of mobile um, with that audience. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, you know, using public transportation a lot, it's going to give you plenty of free time right there just to get from getting to point A to point B. And that's yeah. plenty of time to use social networking right there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, 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 it's just, it's tough. They're, they're, they're strange generalizations to make because we spent way too much time legitimizing that ridiculous comment. I actually like generalizing about Facebook users. So this is fun. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I like making, making little categories of people. Yeah. I like the competitive moms and the, what's well, how the human brain the, works. You just, the TMIers, oh. <laughs> I mean, you can give them little labels. All right, we better sign off before we hit the 45-minute mark. <laughs> For Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Retaco. And Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us. 